Hey, welcome back to Pints and Perspectives, a podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we believe there is a plethora of theological perspectives and plenty of beer to go around. Cullen, 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 Cullen. What's up, bro? We got him. We got him. Yeah. He's, he, he got arrested. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Donald John Trump was arrested by law enforcement yesterday. The Manhattan DA's office uh, indicted him. Yeah. And he had to go down to the uh, the courthouse there in uh, New York City and uh, was booked and arraigned. I just want to remind everyone that during Donald Trump's presidency, he and the arms of government that he had access to... Mm. Uh, accounted for 30 total investigations against the Clintons <laughs> yeah. that yielded zero charges or indictments. How many? Zero. Yeah, that's right. And we now have one investigation into Michael Cohen, who then opened up a door to investigate Donald Trump, which one investigation True. yielded 34 30. federal charges these are not state charges well they are see this, some of them are this is the the nuanced okay. uh, uh legal theory that no, they're saying campaign mismanagement um, is a federal offense right committed yeah so he broke a state law and Bragg wants to like elevate it to a federal thing yep. and so i it's it's very complicated i've listened to like tons of commentators try to explain uh, why this is a novel legal theory, even though the the laws seem to be pretty clear cut, and so I still don't one hundred percent get it. But um, well, but, the, but but here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the thing. This is the this is like the low level case. Yeah. There's still three other major inve- investigations happening that um, day to day look stronger and stronger that he's going to be indicted in those cases as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, and okay, so I never got a clear answer yesterday when I was trying to research what was going on. Did he get bail? Uh, Did they do I, the bail hearing at the arraignment? I didn't. I didn't see anything about a bail hearing. I, I was wondering the same thing. Okay, I was curious because you know the way these things go is the DA brings charges, it goes to the grand jury, the grand jury says yes, we're going to keep going forward with the charges. A warrant is issued, and then the indictment, arrest, and indictment happens. And normally, at the indictment, also called arraignment, right? Um, you have a bail, like right. you have a conversation about bail. Yeah. And Donald, I mean, you could say, you could make an argument that he's a flight risk because of his wealth. No. Uh, but you can't really make an argument that he's a flight risk because he's running for president. Okay, so this is a deal. So they said that one of the reasons why they did not get a mugshot was because um, there he is not in any way a flight risk, uh, nor is he in any way a risk of like not being able to locate Well, for some reason. I mean... Because well, he's such a public figure. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, You mean the public figure that is worth billions of dollars and owns private jets that he, he could fly anywhere in the world? Is he, though? And it, where's, I mean, it's where's fake, it, He's going to run away. He's gonna, where's he going to go? And then what? He's not going to run I don't run know. For, maybe with his boy, Ted Cruz? He's going he's gonna, gonna, gonna to run for president of the United States from, uh, like, Erdogan's Turkey? No. what? That's not going to well, happen. Maybe he's going to keep his butt at Mar-a-Lago and use this as a campaign rally, and he's going to lose. Well, he's already raised $7 million based off the indictment. Apparently, as of today, it's closer to nine. <laughs> oh, yesterday it was seven. <laughs> so, Three days before that, it was five. Anyways, let's move on to things that are um, just as entertaining. 
um, but more. Speaking of which, relevant. you know, it might be kind of fun to do a satirical episode on this podcast where we look at all the buffoon ways that people try to say that Donald Trump is either Jesus oh. Christ returning or the Antichrist. Oh, dude, there's so much content. That I could know. be a series. I know. Yeah, it could be. Oh, I, I would. It happily, could be a lot of fun too. I would happily bring in some content for that. So, but first, let's do what we came here to do. Everyone, ready for it? Let's go. It's time to drink. Beer. Yeah. Time to drink beer. Yeah. Yeah. Cullen can't actually hear that music. Uh, okay. On today's menu, we have the famous Goose Island Bourbon County brand stout. Why'd you call it famous? The original. Um, it's a it's like a seasonal thing. I don't know. It's like a big deal in the beer world, I guess. I think Well, okay, so that was gonna be my question. Goose Island is um a brewery out of Galveston, right? No, Goose Island is up there in the uh, in the uh, East Coast uh, region of our world. Where's Goose Island, y'all? Uh, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of the wrong brewery then. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, this is a um, they, this is they, an annual release in 1992. Former Goose Island brewmaster Gregory Hall wanted to brew something truly unique for the brew pub's 1,000th batch. He just needed some inspiration. Then a chance encounter between Greg and Jim Beam's Booker No led to Goose Island acquiring the barrels for what was to become the world's first bourbon barrel aged beer, Bourbon County Stout. So there, here, this is the answer to your question. Today, Bourbon County Stout is not only a local favorite, but globally known for setting the standard of barrel aged stouts with continued innovation. This year, uh, this is the 2022. I've yep. been aging it uh, yep. for. Um, it does, so note it says you should drink it by July 5th of 2027. Yeah, so, so you can overage it apparently. Oh, we, yeah, we're drinking it early. We're we're drinking it like eight months in. Um, I have another one aging though, and I've aged them in the past. Uh, the oldest one I've ever had is about five years old. They're they're excellent. Well, it says it develops in the bottle up to five years. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I've had it right so. at the five-year mark. The first one I ever had had been aged five years, uh, so I cut my teeth on the good, good. Um, but good, good. Uh, this year, we commemorate the 30th anniversary of the extraordinary Bourbon County Stout history with a lineup sure to excite new and diehard fans alike. Okay, so there's there's a lineup, so there's more than one. Oh, yeah, because they do. Okay, so they do the, the stout, a coffee stout, a biscotti stout, which I've had that one before. I don't remember which year. Sir Isaac's stout, never heard of her. Um, <laughs> proprietors stout never had it two year barley wine reserve oh, oh my that's god that's Colin Adams name right take there take my money how do I own this uh, bottle and bond decanter series okay I'm gonna have to come back to that uh, 30th anniversary reserve stout all these lines came out in um, 2022 anyway so, we've got so the is base. the line always different Every year, or is it an updated version of each of those lines every year? Every year, it's definitely updated. I'm not sure. That's a good question. I've had the stout, obviously. I've had the coffee stout. I've had the biscotti stout. Okay, so it, it must be an updated version of each of those lines? I guess so. I've never heard of those. Because they're not Isaacs. the exact same every year, are they? No, are no. They? It's a fresh batch each yeah, year. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, it always changes a little bit. But all the rest of them I've never heard of. The Sir Isaac, the proprietor, the barley wine, uh, the 30th anniversary. I mean, that makes sense. But um, anyways, um, would you like to know uh, notes? They say vanilla, toffee, chocolate, burnt sugar. Okay, so I saw the burnt sugar. And dried fruit. I saw the burnt sugar comment on there. 
burnt sugar is caramel. It is. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Caramel is sugar and butter. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Sugar and butter burnt. Um, it is 14.3% alcohol by volume. That's why we're splitting it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's 10 a.m. And the, and the bottle's really cool. Um, made in Chicago Imperial Stout. It is a... Uh, how big is this bottle? It's not a normal... It's one pint. One and, pint point nine. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger than a pint. Okay. Um, and, any other questions before we pop this boy? I don't think so. Cheers. How do, um, I guess you like it because you bought two of them and you've been aging it and you've had one age for five years. So I've, I've had it. Um, oh my gosh. Oh, I've had it many times. I can't tell you how many times I've had it and in what years I've had it. I, I really honestly can't. Uh, it's, I've been drinking it for quite some time. Let's see. When did they start? 1992. 1992. Yeah. So uh, also Goose Island is another one of these breweries that was like a local uh, Chicago brewery. Um, And then I think if memory serves me correctly, uh, they are also a sellout brewery. I think they did sell to um, Anheuser InBev, right? Oh, the the even bigger. Yeah. 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 So it's it's, different between like Alphabet and Google. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's, that's a good analogy. Uh, so anyways, um, you know, some people stop drinking beer after they sell out like that. A lot of people hate Carbach for that reason, but after you taste this beer, you'll understand why I continue to drink it. Go ahead. Give it a nose. Give it a nose. What do you smell? Toffee. Yes, you do. Bourbon. Well, that's important. Oak. That's that barrel. Fruit. The fruit is always the first thing that hits me, honestly. A little bit of vanilla. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, uh, not to put thoughts in your head, but you're going to, I think you're going to really taste the vanilla. Yeah. It's kind of like a, um, it's like a toasted grain flavor that I can't place. Well, it's what a, grain is it? It's, what, what's its main malt? Yeah, I was trying to look it up. They don't really uh, talk about ingredients. Um, I mean, is it wheat? Does it have wheat in it? Is that, I, to- I is that toasted I no wheat? Idea. I have no idea. But a good oh, s- contains wheat. There you go. Well, don't they all? I guess that's probably true. All right, I'm going to drink it now. All right, cheers, buddy. I could. There are certain times in life where I wish that alcoholic beverages did not make me drunk. Yeah, that I could just drink a, the the flavor. That I could just yeah, consume the flavor of a beverage for eternity. Mm-hmm. This is one of those. Well, there's like yeah. I mean, that is the thing is there's like a complexity that comes with beer and wine and even to some extent distilled liquors. That oh, yeah. you just can't reproduce any other kind of beverage. With. Right, 
Right. Even if you try to get like non-alcoholic, beer, well, because the alcohol, it's like it, it lacks flavor. The alcohol is part of the experience. Uh, yeah, it's part of for the flavor. Sure. It's part of the. It's part of the feel. Um, for sure. Also, I did commit a faux pas with this beer, and um, some people are probably horrified. You should. Uh, we should be drinking this out of a snifter. This is yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It did say it on there. A, a pint glass is wrong. I don't uh, have one here, but yeah. Mm. Okay, so mm. thoughts on the taste, flavor. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, it, it's really. It's sweet. I don't know if it's burnt sugar, but no, I would. So I would say they're kind of wrong about the burnt sugar thing. I'm not sure that I uh, caramel. Yeah, call it caramel. It's <laughs> there. Um, I think it's very good. I think it's very well balanced. It it moves all the way through your palate from the front to the finish. Yeah. Um, and it's full bodied. It stays there like you want. Big time. Um, also, it's pretty is it fresh. a milk stout? No. I was going to say, because I don't have any, like, lactose residue in my no. mouth. Um, and, and we're drinking it early. Yeah. Like, again, I've had... It's only... You've only had it, what, eight months, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I bought it, I bought it fresh. Um, and so, Cullen said I had to bring beer today, so it, it just is the first one I saw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've had it five years, and, like, it, it's, it's just a dessert wine at that point. It's so good. It's like candy. Okay. So my one qualm with it. I do think I have one qualm with Tell it. Tell me your qualm. Um, for as flavorful and as like big pictured it is on the palate. Big bootied. Yep. Big booty boozy. <laughs> um, what? It, it lacks a little nose. Lacks the, the nose. nose. The nose could be a little better. And, a and you know what? To be fair, it's allergy season. I'm kind of stopped up. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's my own fault. You're a liar. That's my one thing is like I taste a lot. And based on what I taste, the nose could be a little more. I was trying to see if I could find. Um, yeah, I was looking for the IBUs. Because, uh, you know, I really don't taste very much of that fruit. And I can smell it a little bit, but once I get it in the palate, I, I lose some of that fruit flavor. Yeah, we're also serving it a little colder than it should be served. Um, anyways. I mean, I kind of I get a little bit of berry. A little bit I, of berry. See, I get all the fruit. I get, like, dried apricot. On the front? The very front? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I see that. I see that. I get berry at the mid. Have you ever had the Oak Age Yeti from... Um, what are they? What's the Yeti? Uh, Great Divide. Oh, I'm gonna bring that one on. Okay. Anyways, what uh, uh, rating? Um, seven seven. Whoa! I think it's very good. I'm gonna give it a uh, eight. I'm gonna okay. give it an eight. There you go. Out of boy. I'm a fan of the beer though. I drink. Yeah, it. I think it's good. I drink it a lot. I think it's very good. It would definitely be better aged longer. Oh um, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's definitely one of those beers that if you drink it too fresh, it's going to be exploding in so many different directions. You're yeah. going to feel like everything is out of place. Hey, I have a surprise for you come What's October. Up? Oh. I'm also aging a pumpkinator. Oh, my God. It's my hero. Cellar. Oh, my God. <laughs> I might be aging two of them. 
Oh, <laughs> I've never been. I uh, used to age beer all the time. I, you can ask Krista. I used to have like a whole closet where I would just age and a, a different like dedicated beer fridge where I would age things and rotate and keep track. And I used to have a spreadsheet. And, yeah. So I know how to age a beer. Um, so Cullen making me do this podcast is kind of uh, awakening some things. Yeah. Now I walk through the grocery store and go down the beer aisle and I'm like, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I first started drinking, Adam kind of introduced me to beer because he was the like only beer, true beer nerd that I knew. The sinner. I was the bad influence. I was yep. uh, the manifestation of the problem of evil in Cullen's life at that moment. Uh-huh. And <laughs> a few years later, my life kind of took a turn for the worse and mm. kind of struggled a little bit. Alcoholism. Sorry about that. Um, but it was with like drinking like Miller Lite. And, yeah. you know, Shiner Bach, like not craft beer. Right. And at that point, that's when I found my love for the art of distilling and oh, whiskey. Yeah. Sure. Um, and fun fact, if you've been around this podcast very long, you know that originally this podcast was going to be called A Dram of Doctrine and it was going to be whiskey. We should do a, a few whiskey uh, episodes. Well, you don't drink do, whiskey in a pint glass. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, pints in perspectives. Uh, the people don't care. That's why it was going to be called a dram of doctrine. Oh, well. Yeah, you got to have that alliteration. I'm a good preacher. I'm just looking for an opportunity to go back to that Basil Hayden that I bought you for your birthday. Oh, yo, shout. It's so good. You want to talk about some dark fruit notes Oof. in a, in a, a, good in a beverage. Oh, my god. I was gosh. jealous of the bottle I bought you. We should probably move on. We're already we should, at 16 we should, minutes we here. Should. Okay. Um, so... Oh, I didn't give it a rating. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, eight. Okay, moving on. <laughs> um, so, Adam, looking back over this podcast, uh, early looking on. Looking back. You come on, Kevin. <laughs> on the memories of the dance we shared. Okay, I'll leave it alone. Eat the stars. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. Looking back on the podcast. <laughs> thank you, thank you. He'll be here all week. That's right. <clears throat> looking back over the podcast. In one of the early episodes when we were talking about the God perspective, yep. and I really tried to encompass this conversation within the construct of God is fighting a war. Yep, yep. Um, we ended up talking briefly about, you made a comment about the armor of God. Yes, I did. And did I think this had anything to do with it? And what did I say? Absolutely, but we got to wait to talk about it on the human perspective. Yes, so we're now in the human perspective, and let's talk about the armor of God. I'm so hyped up for this one. Why? I'm going to talk some mad... Uh, oh. Foghorn. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, I listen back to every episode, and like, dude, this last one, I was like, what is that noise? I was like, oh, I must have said something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. You said the Holy Spirit. N um. <laughs> Wait, that's what you foghorned me? Uh, yeah, but it wasn't Holy Spirit. Oh, it was oh, something oh, else oh, with those same starting letters. <laughs> you it. said, Holy Spirit. Oh, oh Kevin, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Ware. Mr. Ware. Uh, and yeah. actually, yeah, that's the last one that came out at the time we we're recording this, but there will be another episode that comes out in between, between this episode yeah. and that one. Um, okay, so, sorry. Ask your question again. I keep throwing you um, off. What... When you were growing up and your faith was handed to you, yeah. what was the value of 
the armor of God and how, what kind of construct were you given that Ephesians six text? In? Okay. So I've thought a lot about this because, uh, just prepping for the episode. Yeah, of course. And I've kind of been just like, um, you know, in some meditative times thinking about dude. Uh, okay. So maybe this is your first time ever listening, but I was raised from the age of basically like four and a half ish to a couple of years ago, <laughs> I was a few years ago, I was, uh, well, I'll, I'll just talk about my childhood. In my childhood, I attended a rather moderate Southern Baptist church, but a very, at that time, large one here in Houston, Texas. Um, the one in the Heights? Yeah. Uh, which, anyways, so I'm realizing as I look back over that time and in those days, that would be the very, the early 90s. Um, when the moral majority and Jerry Falwell were like on the rise, um, late eighties, early nineties. Um, and that's when I was in this church setting. So when I look back on the armor of God, I'm like, where did that concept enter my, um, my, my worldview? Um, it was early. Yeah. And then I look and then it's a, I, son, it's a classic Sunday school text. I'm telling you, and here, here's here. If you hear nothing else that I say, I realize now looking back <laughs> that I was indoctrinated from a very young age to be a, uh, member of a paramilitary organization Yeah, called yeah. the church. Yeah. I was instructed how to put on invisible armor. Mm -hmm. I sang songs about my military service and duty. And victories. And victories. I conceived of myself in an in a, a military unit. Yep. Um, I knew that we were on the offensive sometimes and the defensive sometimes, and that the majority of our Christian practice was about reinforcing the tools uh, and defensive postures or offensive postures that we needed to combat a constant assault from an unseen enemy. So let's talk about that enemy. When and you, it created a ton of anxiety for little baby Adam. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sure. And that's what I'm about to get to. Who, who's that enemy? Well, it was the devil and demons. Okay, wait, wait, no. So Hands down. that's the Sunday school answer. Well, that, I'm talking but about who much. in functionality, when you actually go through and look at the faith tradition you were given, who is that enemy? Uh, it's not Satan. It's non-Christians. It's sinners. Yeah. Yeah, it's non-Christians. It's the other. You're damn right, Cullen. It's us versus them culture all over again. It is. It is. And it causes you to see it. It gives children the concept Mm, not the concept. It indoctrinates children to believe that they have a mortal enemy. Yeah. That they can't see. <laughs> that they, Yeah, it exposes them to a cosmic evil force that they can't see, nor are they powerful enough to conquer, except maybe with some weird phrase from a one-off verse in the New Testament about speak in the name of Jesus and they will flee. Oh, but then you put on the full armor of God. You okay, get to Ephesians but, 6. But here's my comment. This is why I wanted to ask you that question. Before we get to the armor of God, all that stuff Adam just said, I need you to throw that out the window. Oh! Because that type of mentality and that type of hermeneutic and interpretation of this text 
takes it completely out of context. I don't, I don't know. Okay. okay. Well, before you offer the alternative perspective, can mm -hmm. I say one more thing about this armor of God concept? Of course. The armor know? of God. Let, let's just, oh my God. Did I, am I about to ask you to read the Bible? I know. He did. He pointed at it and then caught himself. <sighs> Do it. Will you just read the passage? Uh, Not the whole thing, but like, what are they? Like the helmet of salvation. Yeah. So the we breastplate have, of righteousness. Yeah. So, um, Put on the full Take armor up the God. whole armor of God. Stand firm. Stand the firm. The belt of truth. Belt of truth. Okay, hold on. Let's let's think about these one by one. The belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. Uh, shoes. Peace. That's for, the, go yeah, the gospels the, of peace. Yep, or yep, the, yep. Yeah. Uh, shield of faith. Shield of faith. Uh, helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. Sword of, Sword the, Spirit. of the spirit. Which is... Which is... Uh, it does say is the word of God. Okay, but thank you. You have to understand. No, Paul wouldn't have thought this. No, I know, that. but yeah. I just wanted you to finish the quotation. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. So, 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 so. Here's the deal. When you convince an individual, a very um, uh, uh, easily influenced individual, okay. a a a a uh, a malleable mind like a child, when you convince them that they are in a war yep. that doesn't just have like mm, immediate implications, but eternal implications. Yeah. 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 Okay. You convince children that they're in a war. Then you tell them uh, that they can't see this enemy, but uh, they do need to be on guard from this enemy enemy. And this enemy might be manifest in like their neighbors or in a Disney movie or in a video game or in uh, their friends at school or in the, the music that they listen to or uh, in the clothing that they choose to put on their body or the way that they choose to uh, do their hair, put on jewelry, uh, the friends that they keep, the um, uh, the books that they read um they can't see this enemy enemy but this enemy has a foothold and an, and, a, and they have they have all of these uh, uh uh um holes and and open defenses in their lives where where the enemy can come in and attack them and destroy them and potentially potentially convince them that to of a idea that will have them burn in hell forever yeah an eternal conscious torment from a god that was just trying to save them so we got to help you defend yourself against this like ubiquitous enemy who is constantly on the attack. So here is the Bible. This is the sword because the sword of the spirit, which is it's the, the word, word of God, God yeah. uh, for our modern um, evangelical Southern evangelicals the is the Bible, but not just the Bible, the, the, the Protestant Bible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like that's a very, yeah, we should specify a Bible. That. There's a, there are three versions of this Bible widely accepted by three different major traditions. Protestantism, which is the common one with 66 books. Catholicism has their own and includes the old Testament apocrypha. Deuterocanonical texts. Yep. Deuterocanonical. And then you have the Greek Orthodox, which also have some apocryphal stuff. 
but it's a little different. So these evangelicals say, so you got to read your Bible. You got to do your quiet time. You got to pray. You got to, you got to worship, but, but Hey, but look, that's still not enough. So every single day you got to get up and you got to have a quiet time. You got to get with Jesus. You got to get into this intimate secret place in the closet and you need to pray. And the number one thing that you need to pray, according to Priscilla Shire and the incredible movie that she produced, she's such a woman of God is to put on the full armor of God. So you turn to Ephesians six and you start working it through because you have friends that are influenced in you and that are telling you that uh, to doubt the way of God. So you need to put on a helmet of salvation. I know you're in school. I know you're going to that seminary where they're teaching you all these kind of crazy ideas, but put on the helmet of salvation, protect your thoughts, hold up that breastplate of righteousness. You've got all these influences in your life. You've got all these people in your life. You've got all, you've got this Disney movie that you're watching and it's trying to bring unrighteousness into your life and convince you to do the things that are against the will of God. Put on your breastplate. And don't forget your mission in this life is to go and to tell every single person on the planet of earth, on the planet earth that you come in contact with that they, that their way of living and believing is wrong and that they need to be saved immediately from their sins so that they could live in eternity forever with you. And if you don't tell them, it's probably your fault that they are going to burn in hell. Yeah. So yeah, put yeah. on your sandals of of the uh, of the, the gospel. gospel. Yep. Um, now don't forget, you're you about the truth. Only you know the truth. Yep. Because only you have access to that sixty six book Bible. That's yep. a late late development. Yep. 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 So um, although you might encounter people in your life that uh, think differently than you, that have uh, have different world experiences than you, uh, that have uh, uh, that have read different books than you, that have different concepts of things than you do, they're wrong. Yep. So make sure you put on that belt of truth. And tell them. And tell them that and they're wrong. And tell them the truth. Hey, in love. In, in love, though. In love. But, but then, like, still, tell them they're wrong. But you have to tell them. Yeah. But you have to tell them because they might burn in hell, too. They need to put on the armor of God, too. Yep. So in, even if all of that armor fails, Cullen, Jermaine Ware, even if all of that fails, you got to hold up the shield of faith. Yep. Even if you start to doubt, yep. even if you start to have different ideas, even if yep. you start to be critical, even if you start to think differently, even if you start to see differently, hold up that shield of faith, kill all that diverse thinking, hold up that shield of faith and defend the fiery attacks of whom? The enemy. Yep. Because he's shooting flaming arrows at your heart and at your mind. And when and when you've extinguished the flaming arrows of this unforeseen enemy, which is probably your uh, gay neighbor's in your mind or uh, like the president of the United States, your people, then, your, your cousins that are living together. Then after you've held up that shield of faith and you've employed all that armor, you take that last piece and you wield it. You wield it with all the authority that was given to you in the blood of Jesus, with every intention of bloodshed. And you take that sword, which is like a violent weapon. <laughs> And you yep. commit violence, but no, we just mean spiritually. Don't actually commit violence. Don't actually think of yourself putting on armor. Don't actually think of yourself in a military. Don't actually think of yourself as an agent of violence to defeat an actual real literal enemy. No, 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 no. It's all figurative, Cullen. It's all a metaphor, Cullen. Yep. Now, no, no, no. I know we've indoctrinated you since you were a child to think that you were in this war. And I know that you have all those pieces of that armor memorized and you're ready to pull that sword out because you literally did sword drills as a six-year-old you're ready to go to war but we mean it figuratively but we don't though 
Because we actually arm them with Bible verses and train them to use those as proof texts in our arguments and debates trying to convert people to our right way of thinking. This is the problem of evil. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take my seat. (laughs) It really is a broken idea. So I want to point out that it's completely taken out of context when you do it that way. Because Paul's or first, let me say, I don't think Paul wrote this. It's pretty apocalyptic. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things that are kind of out on a whim here. I'm suspect on whether Paul wrote this or not. Bible scholars love to argue this crap. Yeah. So for the sake of ease. Somebody wrote it. But I'm we'll going to say Paul, we'll call him Paul, but I'm suspect. Um, Paul, you mad sus. Well, I mean, for the, vocab- kids. the vocab's a little different. But anyways. Verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, spiritual against war. the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Well, that's Joe Biden. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Nancy Pelosi. Oh, so Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are in heavenly places? Oh no, that's George Soros. They don't they don't have they don't have blood and flesh. Cullen, they are animated and empowered by uh demonic forces. Don't oh, you know this? So Donald Trump is too then, right? No. And he, Ted Cruz? No, they are Messiah. And Matt Gates. They, well, Matt Gates is a child. And Marjorie Taylor Green. MT and Lauren Boat Boat. Well, I mean, all politicians, but those are special ones. Don't talk about them. Oh, why? Because they're because none of the this rights. is consistent. Yeah, because they're the right's choice. Exactly. Yeah. No, this is nonsense. When you really read this, what we should also point out is that chapter six. Um, first of all, we should point out the chapter markers are not there in the original letter. That is a good point. Second, they are not. We should note that. The second half of chapter five. Well, maybe we should talk about the whole of chapter five. Ephesians is problematic AF, yo. No. (laughs) No, it is. It's really not. It is, because I'm already thinking of what's in chapter five. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, if you think, well, there's a lot of ways we we could do this. But the beginning of chapter five, the author is telling the hearers, that they need to stay away from pagan idolatry. Mm-hmm. That they need to stay away from pagan ideas. Communism. Now, this is partly problematic for lots of reasons uh, when you get into the Bible. but Because most of Christianity is based on pagan ideas? Um, well, it's certainly borrowing lots of spiritual principles from an ancient Near Eastern culture. Mm, go ahead. Um, but when you really get into it, especially the religions that are most common in Ephesus at that time, you got a lot of like pagan, like oh, yeah. sex and orgy and prostitution and exploitation to the sex God. Yeah. Um, and you also have lots of child sacrifices. Yeah. Which, you know, this is why I say it's problematic because you have the whole thing with Abraham and Isaac. Um, but that's not cool. That's not okay. Uh, God's pretty cool with child sacrifice. His name is Jesus. Jesus was 33. Anyways, go he ahead. He died. Isn't that good? Uh, good. Just saying. Good. Um, anyways, 
And then from there, isn't it interesting that that is the author's setup? That this concept of moving away from pagan ways mm-hmm. is the author's setup to talk about a Christian household ethic. Now, Adam, where did the concept of a household code come from in the ancient world? The the uh, the elite class of I don't, I don't ooh, Greek philosophers. Yeah, right. First one to give us one was Plato, Plato. and Aristotle. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about a household code, moving away from pagan ideas, and we're going to get a household code that's very different than the household code of the ancient world. You know why? Because it begins with verse chapter 5, verse 21, that says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Mm. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself, himself up for up them. For And then it goes on and continues with children and parents to open chapter six. This is why I point that out, that those chapter verses are not there. Because if you just move on and you just think, oh, chapter six is a new thought. Right. You miss it. Right. Because it's not. A household code code in the ancient world went between husband and wife, parents and children, masters and slaves. Right. Oh, Power dynamics. Yeah. So chapter five ends... About husbands. Okay. Chapter six opens children and slaves. Okay. And what does it say about children and slaves? Oh, the marginalized need to put on the armor of God? Uh, no. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh-huh. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Right? Going back to the Old Testament. Um, this is the first commandment with a promise. Be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Uh-huh. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Which, how many times did we see that in the ancient world? She last night happened to me. <laughs> Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ. I reject that passage. Wait, hang on. We're going to get there. So that's verse five. Mm-hmm. I'm going to skip down to verse nine. Ooh. And masters, do the same to them. Yeah. Stop threatening them. For you know that you both have the same master in heaven, and with them, with him, there's no partiality. So yeah. I, I, you I are you. a good enough hermeneutic that you can say, yeah, I reject five through eight, but you kind of be dumb to do that because if you did, you also have to reject nine because nine is the money passage. <laughs> hey, masters, all that shit yeah. I just told your slaves to do, you do unto them. Yeah. Equality, reciprocity. Yeah. Oh, wait. And now... Now, finally, let me, let me read you verse 10. Finally, after all that, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Yeah, so the struggle there that you're reading uh, indicates that the struggle against or the, 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 the not struggle against flesh and blood, the flesh and blood reference there is pointing back to all those household codes. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think it's part of that. I'm also showing you that evangelicals just chose to say, fuck oh. it with that verse. We yeah. don't need Should, that one. Oh, he of gets, course. He, he needs the foghorn. I'll um, give the foghorn. <laughs> um, but yeah, right. You're right. You're right. It's cherry picked. It's a oh, cherry picked passage. Of course. Well, but they all are. Yeah, sure. they right, always pick and choose what they want out of, of course, it, right? Of course. Um, 
Yeah, always. like I, here's another great example of how they always cherry pick stuff. You know, and we're going to go ahead and say it because we're talking about the word of God and the sword of the spirit yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I should remind you that they can say that because they use another proof text in 2 Timothy 3 about the Bible, all scripture is God breathed. Boy, you are good at this. Okay, and what did what did evangelicalism tell you that word God breathed meant? Uh, 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 it, well, inspiration, the doctrine okay. of inspiration. And that, with the Chicago statement on inerrancy, right. took it to inerrancy. Inerrancy, right. Let me ask you a question, Adam. That, what, yeah, go where, ahead. Where did you see God breathe in something in the story? Because that's a made-up word. Wait, hold on the that. author of 2 Timothy made that word up. God breathed? That's theos pneuma. Ruach. Yeah. That, <laughs> like it, it, it's a made up word. That's the only time it's used in the New Testament and or any extant Greek manuscript that we have. No kidding. That's the only time it's used. It, made up word. I did Look, and Colin so just what? taught me something. It took till 1976 for a bunch of educated white dudes in Chicago to sit in a room and say that word means inerrancy. Another made up word. But what I might charge our evangelical friends to do would be... To use the Bible as its own source. Mm. So where where was the first time we saw God breathe into something? That'd be Genesis uh, two, two, uh, two. two. And and when God did that, were they perfect? Well, I guess not. Here we sit. Did they sin? Yeah, they did. Did they disobey God? For so. So why the hell doesn't all God breathing into the scriptures make it perfect? Ooh. Your boy on one. Right-wing Christian evangelicalism has a tendency of, might I say, manipulating the text to do what they want it to do. Of course. Um, as we would see with the armor of God. But what I might call us all to... So, yeah, what should we do with this passage? Then? Like, what should we do with the armor of God? I think you should realize that Paul is telling you that there is a cosmic war between the spiritual good and the spiritual evil, which we have called light and darkness. We have called... Grounded. God and devil, we've called ground of being, ground of ground death. Of death. We, you know, you can use any gambit of metaphors and, and, sure. and titles, but there is a cosmic war at play, and we have a role to play in that. But it's not fighting against humans. It's not. It's not fighting against humans because. Our enemy is not sin, Adam. Mm -hmm. Our enemy is death. Mm -hmm. And who experiences death? All humans. So, the next episode we're going to do is a, is a wrap-up of this whole series. Like, how do we summarize all of this into something that's 45 minutes long? Eesh. Um, the best example I can give you is Game of Thrones. <laughs> the living dun, dun, are in a dun, war against dun, the dead dun, dun. and even though the living have enemies against and amongst themselves look hold it's on. a war against the dead that really matters are, are we gonna can i should i respond to that or is that the next episode you can respond right now give it a little tease what do you think oh i mean i'm a huge game of thrones fans oh yeah game yeah. of thrones fan thrones fan gosh um definitely it's also about climate change kevin 
Uh, uh, okay, so yeah, uh, it is partly it's about, about it's about it's, environmentalism. It, it is a commentary on climate change. That but, is true, but it's about taking it like it is about the stupidity of human competition and prejudice and oppression, and how that impacts not only um, the people that make up the community, but also the world in which they live. Yeah, and so um, the way you respond to certain things, whether out of ignorance or out of actually wanting to be to progressively solve problems rather than always conservatively remain and do nothing. Cersei Lannister. Um, yeah. So we, we didn't, we'll do game of Thrones on the next one. Oh, I think game of Thrones is the best even down to, cause you remember how we were talking about what's the best, uh, way to include the hero's journey and well, the sacrifice. Okay, but see, we have to argue about this because I know that you're trying to say that Game of Thrones is like the best uh, hero's journey analogy, but who's the Jesus character? Uh, well, look, I think there's a couple, but uh, nope, jo- nope, jo- there's one. Jon Snow nope. is the nope. Jon- it's not John. Jon Snow resurrects. It's not John. Oh, spoiler alerts! Jon Snow resurrects from the dead. He is the only human. Like he is the representative of man. Okay, who, 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 wait, uh, hold on, let me think. This is fun. Who's the one that is the unexpected one that actually Brand. sits on the Iron Throne at Brand. the end? Brand. The marginalized, the one that spent the entire damn series the one in a wheelchair. north of the wall. The one in the, the wheelchair. The one that can't serve themselves. Oh, the I one love that it. nobody expects. I love it. It is the true underdog story, and that's the Messiah figure. He also has like a supernatural ability to see. See. But it's limited, it, right? Right. It's, it's just it's a not, different perspective. He can see everything, but, but it's, it's like a cloudy picture. It's not omniscience, is it? No. But that's that's my argument. Is ah. it's, it is. I think God is omniscient in the same way that Bran is omniscient. Fuzzy. Yeah, God knows, but they don't know. And they certainly the don't have the raven. power to change the knowledge. God is the three-eyed raven. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.